Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yo, welcome to another episode of the Forum Club. I'm your host, Jovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. And the Lakers have made a pretty big move in the past week or so. It is not official yet, but it will be within the next few days. And I couldn't think of anyone better to join us to help break it down than Eric Name, our Milwaukee Bucks beat writer. Eric, uh, how are you doing, man? I'm. I mean, this is weird. I'm not used to being off uh, this early, so <laughs> I, I would much rather be covering an NBA Finals right now. Uh, but with that aside, I'm doing well. I, I've gotten used to it, though. I technically did cover the Suns in yeah. uh, in Milwaukee last year, and, and we got to spend some time together, so that was fun. Uh, but we're, we're bearing the lead here. The lead is that the Lakers hired Darvin Ham, uh, Milwaukee Bucks assistant coach, as their next head coach. And I wanted to get into the nitty gritty with you. But first, what were your initial thoughts on the ham hiring? And, and obviously, this had been a multi-week process. His, his name had been uh, linked to them for a bit, also for the Charlotte Hornets job, uh, I believe for the Kings job as well. But, but I guess what are your general thoughts of the past few weeks and, and the Lakers ultimately deciding to hire Darvin Ham? It's about time. I guess like it, I just remember as we were covering that finals together in Phoenix, knowing that Darwin was in the running for a number of jobs and thinking he was going to get one last year and, and him, you know, coming up just short on a couple of those jobs. And then this year having some more interviews and it, it just felt like, uh, you know, it was, it's gotten to a spot where if you're really looking for, a fresh hire, someone that hasn't been a head coach before, not not a retread. I just don't know how you go in a different direction other than Darvin, uh, just because of the resume that he's kind of put together over the years. Like, uh, even if you just take his his Hawks tenure, uh, you know those Hawks teams consistently overachieved, and he was the lead assistant there. Uh, and then now with these Bucks teams, where this is. You know, from a record perspective, from obviously a championship last year perspective, this has been the best team in the league for the last four years. Like since Mike Boonholzer has been in town, the Bucks have been in an Eastern Conference Finals, uh, in the bubble, got eliminated in the second round, but then an NBA Finals. And then, uh, I mean, I think there's plenty of people around the league that think this team would still be competing in the finals if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt. Like mm-hmm. that, that's a, a very consistent level of excellence. And once again, Darwin's been right in the middle of all of that. So for me, it it really did just feel like a matter of time before he was finally going to to get a chance to lead his own team. And especially when, you know, you look at some of the other coaches from the the Mike Boonholzer tree, which is 
uh, I guess technically a branch on on the Greg Popovich tree. Um, <laughs> like it, you you look at the success that a number of these guys have had, whether it's Quinn Snyder, Kenny Atkinson, now Taylor Jenkins. Uh, there's been successful coaches that have come from a Mike Boonholzer uh, coaching staff, and it, to me, it just felt like it, it was it was about time that Darwin got a job. You're someone that has spent time with and around him. What type of coach do you think he's going to be? And, and sort of what is his personality? What, what do you think his imprint is going to be? Uh, I mean, I guess I'll start with personality. It's it's really funny. Um, I, I always hang out on the court before games and, you know, obviously talk to people around the league. And uh, the thing I always try to keep track in my head is who's going to say hi or hello or dap up more people? Is it Pat Connaughton <laughs> or is it Darvin Ham? And it, it just seems like those two dudes know everyone in the league. It doesn't matter if we're in Washington, D.C., if we're out in L.A. Uh, it, it truly doesn't matter. There is always going to be someone, whether it's from a, a scout, whether it's uh, an assistant coach from the other team, a player from the other team, is going to go dap up Darvin before the game. And you're just like, how does Darvin know everyone? And it honestly is kind of this crazy thing where, you know, last year when PJ Tucker came in uh, for the Bucks, he, he mentioned like, hey, you know, one of the one of the first people that greeted me was Darvin Ham. And, you know, me and D Ham know, have known each other forever and all this stuff. And I remember going up to PJ and I was like, OK, so you were at Texas. I know Darvin's at Texas Tech. Like, is there some sort of connection? He's like, no, DM just knows everybody. And I was like, OK, OK, that's my bad. Like, I was trying to, you know, get cute with the story angle. But Darvin is just kind of that guy. And I think that speaks to his personality that he can get along with so many people. And, you know, he has this gregarious personality where you see him and it's going to be a big hug. You're going to dap him up. He's going to tell some jokes. He'll have you laughing. He's going to be laughing it's going to be a good time. So I do think that it, to me is just like a big part of him and what he's about. But then, you know, it, it is the other part uh, of Darwin that I think makes him an interesting coach where sure he's fun and he's going to have a good time, but also like this, this dude used to break backboards. Like mm -hmm. he's, he's this big hulking man that, Everyone knows like, okay, I'm not going to F with that dude. Um, I, I'm not going to mess around with him. Like if he says something, he's, he's serious about it and I should believe him. And, and I just think that duality makes him a, a really interesting coaching candidate because that personality is, is such a big part of it where I just don't think, you know, guys are going to come in there and, you know, see this coach and think, oh, I don't need to respect this guy or, you know, what does this nerd know or whatever. It's like, no, that that's a it's a 10 year NBA veteran. Like he knows what the grind is about. He can relate to players. But uh, then uh, like that's the personality part of it. And then I think the coaching part of it, it's been really interesting for me to kind of always hear like, oh, yeah, you know, Darwin's just like he'll just end up being a player's coach. And. I, like I get it, he is a former player. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, try to take that, take that part away because I do think it's important and, and it is noteworthy. But this is also a dude that, when he played, he played for George Carl, Larry Brown, Terry Stotts, um, I think Bernie Bickerstaff, Mike Brown. So he played for all of those guys, dudes that have had success in the league that are, are known as 
smart tactical coaches. And, you know, he has the respect of all of those guys. And then on top of it, you you look at what he's done as an assistant coach and, you know, before he went to the Hawks, he was in LA for a little bit and, mm-hmm. you know, like he's on a staff again with Quinn Snyder and Quinn is someone who absolutely adores Darwin to this day. Uh, and, you know, he's just been able to to work with a lot of these guys. He's on Mike Brown's staff there. And I just think he gets a little bit underrated for what he might actually be able to do as a coach. And again, we haven't seen it, right? Like we don't know what kind of offense he's going to run. We don't know what kind of defense he's going to try to run. But when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, you look at what they've done. They've been one of the best defensive teams in the league for the last four years. They've been one of the best offensive teams in the league for the last four years. And yes, Giannis is a massive part of all of that. But if you look at the logic behind the things that they do, it's pretty smart stuff. Like they know what they're doing on both those ends. And Darwin has been, you know, a big part of that. And again, it's not a situation where Mike Boonholzer is ever going to have, you know, an offensive coordinator, defense coordinator. And we can say, well, Darwin was in charge of the defense or Darwin was in charge of the offense. But I just think there's, this perspective that because Mike Boonholzer is incredibly meme worthy, everyone <laughs> likes, you know, putting, putting out gifts of Mike Boonholzer and the faces that he makes. And like, yeah, like, face. <laughs> like, that's just like who he is. But behind like the memes and the gifts is like, this dude's a really good coach. Like before yeah. he had an MVP in Giannis, he won a shit ton of games in Atlanta. So mm-hmm. like you have to me, someone that maybe gets dis- disrespected a little bit as a head coach and, and because maybe he gets disrespected a little bit, a guy that's been his lead assistant for nine or for eight years, but been with him for nine years, like maybe that guy feels a little bit of that where it's okay. Well, yeah, he was an assistant coach for all these years, but he was just with Bud. And, and I think there is some of that where because Bud gets disrespected, I do think some of that translates down to Darwin, but honestly, as someone who's who's covered this Bucks team for a while, I think what they do on both sides of the ball is is quite smart. They've figured out Giannis is one of the most unique superstars in the entire league, and they've figured out how to put an offensive system around him. He still can't shoot. He still doesn't really like posting up a lot. Like, and they've figured out a way. They they've figured out how to get this done. So I, I do think like. The personality part of it with Darwin is huge. Like he is this fun-loving, gregarious personality, but also has the duality where people aren't going to mess with him. The personality is big, but I do think he maybe has been a little bit disrespected as as a guy that really knows his X's and O's. And, uh, you know, one of the stories I know George Carl loves to tell about him is that um, everyone knows the Spurs for running hammer sets. And if for those that might not know the like X's and O's and what a hammer set is, it's this idea where you, you put the ball into the post and then on the backside, you throw a skip pass on the baseline to a shooter in the corner. The Spurs made it incredibly popular with Manny Ginobili and, and those teams. And it's, it's kind of swept the league. Um, that, that action is called a hammer action because 
George Kyle only trusted Darvin Ham to make the pass. Like it's it, Hammer. The first half is Ham. It's called a Hammer set because it's Darvin Hammer's set because he was the one that was smart enough to make the play. And and that is one where it's like you imagine, you know, the guy breaking backboards, you know, doing the dirty work, being, you know, a, a cover anyone defensive threat. But there is like a level of IQ in basketball acumen that I just think over the years has probably gone a little bit disrespected for, for Darvin. So if I asked you to forecast here, and, and again, this is just, uh, you know, your prediction, what do you think he will implement from Milwaukee system versus what do you think, you know, where will he maybe diverge a bit from? And I know Bud stuff has changed from Atlanta to Milwaukee and it's, it's kind of changed season to season depending on the personnel. But uh, I guess, I mean, do, do you see any, because I, I think AD and, and Giannis are different players, but there is some overlap there where, where you could see, Maybe him implementing some of the things that they've used with Giannis with AD. Uh, you know, LeBron also has some overlap with that. So I, I think there's some interesting stuff you could see with LeBron and AD. Uh, but I, I guess if if you had to predict what he will bring from Milwaukee and maybe what he will, you know, diverge from, um, is it is it the defense? Is it the offense? Is it both? Like I guess you know, the open ended question. What, what do you think he'll bring from Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, so I think offensively, one of the things that Bud has really tried to do is uh, the Bucks don't do a ton of off-ball movement. Uh, you know, very famously, you know, one of the first things that they changed was they brought in the blue squares. Uh, so they had five blue squares around the practice court, two in each or one in each corner, one on each wing, and then one at the top of the key. And they implemented this five-out spacing with Giannis and. Uh, the idea behind it was always like, okay, let's spread the floor for Giannis, but also let's make the reads pretty simple for Giannis where he can almost throw blind to a corner. He can throw blind to a wing. He understands that my teammates will be in these spots. And I th personally, I think that's a lot of what, you know, when you watch LeBron James play, he is going to be stationary. And his, his guys might move around a little bit, but he's just waiting for a help defender to, to make a mistake. And I think that is largely what the Bucks tried to do with Giannis, is that like, all right, let's simplify these reads. Uh, Giannis is not the, the playmaker that LeBron is. Like LeBron's one of the best passers in the history of basketball. Giannis is not there, but he's gotten better. And it's a lot because of very simple offense. And I think that won't change much. And honestly, with LeBron James and who he is, I don't know that it can change much. Like that's just how a, a LeBron team is going to play. I think where it probably gets more interesting is uh, there's always been a heavy em emphasis on the three-point line, getting up threes, taking threes early in the clock, getting pace. And essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to squeeze out every point that you can find every you know, small little advantage, squeeze out as much offense as possible. And I, that to me is going to be something where I'm curious how LeBron reacts to it. Um, I, I don't know this a hundred percent. You may, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe the Lakers have ever played at a very quick pace with LeBron, uh, mm -hmm. that they've, they've been to be, they've tended to be a little bit slower. So I am curious if Darwin can, come in and convince them like, Hey, there is easy offense here. 
let's get whoever maybe may it might not be Malik Monk. I'm not a hundred percent sure what the Lakers are going to do in free agency. Um, we, don't, we don't know who's going to be on this roster in, in a couple sure. months. <laughs> but like, is it okay? Let's get enough shooters on the floor that those shooters can get up early threes and LeBron can still get the assist. LeBron can still be the guy that creates it, but we've managed to squeeze some extra points out of this offense. And then I, I think defensively, uh, one of the things that I think largely the Bucks have have been a big part of this trend around the league is that, you know, a lot of people got very scared when, when the Warriors came around and kind of thought like, we can't play drop coverage anymore. Like you can't have a big guy sitting at the rim trying to scare away uh, any drivers and, you know, you can't give up a lot of threes and, and the Bucks have kind of proven the opposite that you can, still focus on taking away the rim. And they did it with Brooke Lopez. And then conversely, by having your center do that, Giannis is free to roam. And to me, that is going to be one of the things that I would guess Darvin's really going to hone in on is, okay, how do I get something defensively that allows Anthony Davis to be absolutely unleashed? Like, how do I get it so that he can be freed up to do all of the cool stuff and all the athletic stuff that he has done in the past? And also, on top of that, you eliminate some of the wear and tear on their bodies. Like, instead of being a switching defense where you have to work really hard, if you have that big man that can protect the rim, you can really allow AD to free up and do some of that. And, uh, LeBron is going to be able to play some more free safety and try to play passing lanes and maybe not need to work as hard. So as far as I would guess, you know, Darwin could have a lot of other different ideas. Maybe he's he's going to do something completely different from Bud. But I think what we've seen from the Grizzlies under Taylor Jenkins is they've taken the pace in the space that the Bucks had and turned it up to 11 and they they've freed Jaron Jackson to be in the conversation for defensive player of the year for all defensive teams by getting a big man in there that can protect the rim and allow him to fly around and do those things and to me like those like if you're thinking about what they try to do off- offensively it's obviously always going to be about LeBron like that's just like mm-hmm. how it goes that's the same way as here in Milwaukee where it's all about Giannis but defensively to me it feels like you know how do they protect the rim and let Anthony Davis and let LeBron James go out there and and do some of those things that I think make them more special defenders than you know just sitting at the at the rim trying to block shots. Uh, quickly, I stand corrected. Uh, the Lakers have actually ranked in the top eleven in pace in three of LeBron's four seasons. Uh, they were fourth in his first season, although he missed half the year. And that was, if you remember the young guys, uh, their championship season, they were 11th there, uh, two years ago, they were 21st. So that was the year they took a dip. And then this past season, they were seventh. So they've actually played faster than it it seemed. And I guess last year was a lot of that was had to do with Russ and, uh, them playing guys like Malik Monk and Stanley Johnson and kind of going younger and smaller. Uh, but speaking of Russ, uh, this was a question that was posed to every 
uh, you know, candidate that the Lakers spoke with, like, how can you make the Russell Westbrook situation work? And I, I know, I mean, I, I don't think there's an answer to that, to be honest. <laughs> like, I would love to have heard everyone's answers. Like, if I could just hear one part of the, the coaching interview, that would be it of just how did people try to spin the potential Russell Westbrook fit? Uh, and Russ and Giannis are obviously, you know, completely different players, but I think, I guess I look at the Giannis kind of situation as like, if you can recreate that with, with Russ and put four shooters around him and give him that space to ISO and drive, like that's probably the best way to maximize him offensively. Now, obviously you still have LeBron and AD and you got to figure out the shifts and is that playing Russ with the bench more, potentially even bringing him off the bench. Like I think there's a lot the Lakers have to figure out. Um, I'm still on, on the camp of, it's never going to work if they keep Russ. I think they're going to be back in the playing tournament. I don't think they can. I, I think it's going to be tough to build a contender regardless, but I, I don't think it's possible if they keep Russell Westbrook on this team. But if they do end up keeping him and it is on Darvin Ham to maximize the Westbrook fit, uh, what I, I guess what from seeing how the Bucks used Giannis, how they used Drew Holiday, um, kind of the, these power players who who are really good at driving and getting to the rim. Like, I guess, what, what could you, how could you see him using Russell Westbrook and trying to maximize that fit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's probably a couple things that the Bucks have done over the years. Uh, the first one, like you said, when, when they first came in, it was how do we get Giannis five out spacing with four shooters around him and give him as much space to, to operate as possible? Like, that will, that will be part of it. And like you said, that is going to be, um, rife with the potential for disaster because I don't know where LeBron and AD are going to be. Uh, and that makes it a little bit difficult, but I do think as time went on, you know, one of the things that, that the bucks started to figure out was that, okay, if, if you do that, everyone can kind of hone in on Giannis and you have to find different ways around it. One of, one of the biggest things that happened during the bucks championship run was they convinced Giannis to be a screener a lot more often. Like they, that was a, a spot where Giannis didn't like it. He wasn't really convinced that that should be something that he should do. Even though anyone that watches Giannis, of course he can catch a lob. Of course he can be like a rim running threat, but he was not convinced of it early on. And uh, I know that early, I think early in this season, obviously the Lakers tried some of that and it, didn't seem to take with with Russell Westbrook, um, but I do think that's like a spot where they're going to have to try it again. Like if you if you really want to to make things work, like you have to find when no one is is willing to cover you out by the three point line, uh, like teams have been unwilling to do so with Giannis for a long time now. Like you have to find other ways to shift the floor and find angles for him. And one of the ways that the Bucks did it was by making Giannis a screener more often. And, and you saw that a lot, especially against the Nets in, in the postseason last year in their championship run, like he was screening a lot. And again, Russell Westbrook is not Giannis. He's, he's not the, the same height and, you know, he's not as long, but that is a spot where you can create an angle because, you know, you have other people that can make a play and it requires some buy-in from Russ uh, and it required some buy-in from Giannis. But I do think that's a spot where, where you think about it a little bit. And then, you know, one of the other things that I ended up writing about at, at the start of last season was uh, the Bucks use of the dunker spot 
which uh, if you're unfamiliar, dunker spot's going to be the area on the baseline, uh, roughly from just outside the lane on one side to just outside the lane on the other. And that was a spot where, you know, Drew Holiday came in and was like, I've never done this before. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't really know how to finish down here. I don't know, you know, if I'm using my left or my right and am, am I drop stepping am, am I doing it on the run? Like, how am I doing this? And eventually he got very comfortable at it and, and he got very good at it. And, uh, again, it's a little bit non-traditional. Um, it, it's a spot where you don't typically put guards, but it is to me, you know, something that was, and again, if, if you've watched a lot of basketball in your life, someone being in the short corner isn't like groundbreaking, right? Like the, the players in the eighties lived in the short corner. That was, that was a thing that happened all the time, but in the space, in the space and pace NBA, it was different and it was something that teams didn't really do. And it's something that, you know, can kind of invert the floor where, uh, you put one of your guards in the dunker spot. And then all of a sudden the rim protection for a guy like AD for a guy like LeBron James is a point guard instead of, a center and that changes the geometry of the of the floor and and I think that's something that again I, I don't know exactly what offense Darwin's gonna run but I do think like if you go through all the things that they did with Giannis like it did start like you said put shooters around him let the floor get space but then it turned into okay well we also need Giannis to to screen a little bit and then Giannis wasn't the one in the dunker for the Bucks a lot, but they did put other people in there. And I do wonder if that's a spot where Westbrook is still quite explosive. He still can finish at the rim at times. I know he struggled a little bit more as of late doing that, but I do think if you make the looks different, if you make teams do different things and cover him in different places, maybe you can play with, with how teams are defending him a little bit. And I do expect Darwin to, to try a number of those things, because like you said, it does very much seem like there's an edict that you got to make it work with Russell Westbrook. And uh, if so, I think, I agree with you. I think it would have been one hell of a pre- presentation and I would have loved to hear what Darwin had to say about it. Let's get you out of here on this. Um, the one thing that uh, Lakers vice president of basketball operations and general manager Rob Palinka has publicly said about the coaching search uh, was that they were looking for someone with gravitas and someone who could hold players accountability, uh, sorry, uh, accountable and, and uh, implement some accountability. Like, and I know you've kind of touched on this already, but I guess where does where do you see Darvin fitting in with, with that? And you know, we are talking about Westbrook and and sort of him adapting and adjusting his game, and maybe he just isn't willing to do that. And it, it seemed like you know he said all the right things in you know uh, the pregame or you know the, the press conference last summer and, and media day and stuff, and like he did. And he said the you know the right things to LeBron and AD to to get them to co-sign the the trade, but that obviously did not happen. And depending on who you talk to, some of that's on Frank Vogel, some of that's on Russ, uh, some of that is is on you know the Lakers for thinking Russ would be willing to change. But w- with regards to Russ potentially changing, maybe getting a guy like LeBron who seems to be very fond of the Darvin Ham move to buy in more defensively, more consistently. Uh, like I guess with the gravitas and commanding the locker room and getting holding guys accountable and actually having some consequences of hey Russ like uh, I know you didn't close a few games last year but maybe this year if if you're not playing defense and you're taking bad shots 
you're not going to be closing any games. You know, you're you're going to have to earn that spot. Like, how do you see him kind of navigating that uh, as a first year head coach, but also someone who clearly has been an assistant for a while? You know, has that cachet of of being a former player, and as you've alluded to, is a hard nosed, tough, you know, former role player who isn't going to be afraid of anybody. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, and this should go without saying whether it's uh, you know Darvin Ham or Charles Lee or anybody else that the Lakers were considering. It starts at the top, right? Like there, there's no doubt that Mike Boonholzer is in charge in Milwaukee, and that comes from from the top down. They're like, all right, yeah, if you got a, if you got a coaching question, Bud's right. That's the guy. Right there, we we have, there's there's no one else. If you have a problem, the only person you're dealing with is Bud. There's no one higher that you can go to uh, to complain to 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 get Bud to change his way. And you know that autonomy is going to be uh, very important for Darwin. So first, to me, it starts there. Uh, and obviously, this is something that I think we've seen the Lakers struggle with uh, in recent years. Is you know empowering someone to feel like they are actually in charge. So I think it starts there. But then uh, on top of it, I think the the biggest thing for me with with the Bucks and, and kind of how things kind of went was I remember vividly in our first year, uh, you know, with Mike Boonholzer and with the coaching staff and all of that, uh, you know, I remember talking to Giannis about 10 games in. He was playing about 32 minutes a night. And he was furious, absolutely furious in the fourth quarter that he didn't get to play more. And, you know, you could really tell. And it had happened in a couple games in the first 10 games. And I remember going up to him and I I remember asking like, hey, obviously you wanted to play more. Like, what is the process like for that conversation with Bud? And he was like, it's not a conversation. Like, (laughs) I, I, I keep telling him that I want to play more and I keep wanting to do more. And these are the things that I want. And like, he's like, when it, when I was with Jason Kidd, it used to be a conversation. I could say it and he'd say no. And then we'd talk and we'd, you know, barter and I would maybe get some more minutes or, or whatever it may be. He's like, but with Bud, it's absolute. It, when Bud says, what Bud says goes. And that's, that's it. There's no conversations. And to me, I think a big part of this is, uh, you know, there there has to be a level of buy-in from LeBron and from AD. Uh, but I, I think it starts with the first time that there's an argument like that, because obviously with a new coach, this is going to happen. Guys are going to test their new coach and see where the line is, how hard they can push. Darvin has to respond and I to, to me honestly there's no doubt that he will respond and it the it is it will be his way or the highway and that's how this goes and like I mentioned earlier he is six foot seven like he is he's a, a big bi- dude he's a big he's dude. a big dude like every time you see him you're like oh yeah that dude used to play in the NBA um and oh yeah that dude could have played tight end in the NFL like he's a big dude so like I think just his his physical profile brings some of that out, but then there is just kind of this, this unspoken idea. I know Chris Middleton mentioned it. Like you don't, you don't mess with Darv. Like Darv, Darv knows what he's doing. You don't need to question this dude. So 
even doing it is is silly, is foolish. Uh, so I think it, that first test is going to be big, but it, it's kind of organizational, at least in my opinion. Like it has to be this dude's empowered, and and once this dude's empowered, that first argument, like he's got to have the support of everyone in the room, and everyone's got to be like, "Yep, that's our guy. He's in charge now." And and like you said, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how how kind of all this plays out. Eric, thank you so much for sharing your insight, man. Uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter and be sure to read his work on The Athletic. Uh, anything you want to plug? No, uh, I'm. this is a pretty chill off season for me right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter, you can hit me up at Eric underscore name. It's E-R-I-C underscore N-E-H-M. That's all I got for now, man. I'm, I'm chilling. I'm not in the middle of a new coaching hire or anything like that. <laughs> so, so I'm chilling right now. I was actually uh, the best man at uh, my buddy's wedding o- over the weekend, and I was like looking forward to. I'm off Friday through Monday. I'm gonna have like a four day weekend, and Friday night the news yep. breaks. Yep. But uh, enjoy your time off, man. Well deserved uh, after a busy couple of seasons. But uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll be seeing you down the road again, maybe. Or, or, or we'll Can't be seeing wait. the Bucks. We'll be seeing the Bucks in the final season. I don't know about the Lakers. We'll see. But uh, <laughs> but but if they get back there, it'll be because Darvin Ham is their new coach. So uh, appreciate the time, man. And I'll, I'll talk to you soon. For sure. Thanks for having me.